Book One, Chapter Seven of Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bradford's History of the Plymouth Settlement, sixteen o eight to sixteen fifty, by William Bradford. Rendered into modern English by Harold Paget. Book One, Chapter Seven. At length, after much discussion, everything was got ready. A small ship was bought and fitted out in Holland, intended to help transport them, and then to remain in the country for fishing and such other pursuits as might benefit the colony. Another ship was hired at London, of about 180 tons. When they were ready to depart, they had a day of solemn humiliation, their pastor taking his text from Ezra 8.21, And there at the river, by Ahava, I proclaimed a fast, that we might humble ourselves before our God, and seek of him a right way for us and for our children, and for all our substance. Upon this discourse he spent a good part of the day very profitably. The rest of the time was spent in pouring out prayers to the Lord with great fervency and abundance of tears. The time having come when they must depart, they were accompanied by most of their brethren out of the city to a town several miles off, called Delfthaven, where the ship lay ready to take them. So they left that good and pleasant city, which had been their resting place for nearly twelve years, but they knew they were pilgrims, and lifted up their eyes to the heavens, their dearest country, and quieted their spirits. When they came to the place they found the ship and everything ready, and such of their friends as could not come with them followed them, and several came from Amsterdam to see them shipped and to take leave of them. That night there was little sleep for most of them, for it was spent in friendly entertainment and Christian discourse and other real expressions of true Christian love. The next day the wind being fair they went aboard and their friends with them, and truly doleful was the sight of that sad and mournful parting. What sighs and sobs and prayers rose from amongst them, what tears gushed from every eye, and pithy speeches pierced each heart many of the dutch strangers who stood on the quay as spectators could not refrain from tears yet it was comfortable and sweet to see such lively and true expressions of dear and unfeigned love but the tide which stays for no man called them away though loath to part and their reverent pastor falling down on his knees and all with him with watery cheeks commended them with most fervent prayers to the lord and his blessing then with mutual embraces and many tears they took their leave of one another which proved to be the last leave for many of them thus hoisting sail with a prosperous wind they came in short time to southampton where they found the bigger ship from london lying ready with all the rest of the company after a joyful welcome and mutual congratulations with other friendly entertainment they came to the subject of their business and how to conclude it most expeditiously and discussed with their agents the alteration of the conditions mr carver pleaded that he was employed here at southampton and did not know what his colleague had done in london mr cushman answered that he had done nothing but what was essential both in fairness and of necessity otherwise all would have been sacrificed and many ruined he stated that at the outset he had acquainted his fellow agents with what he had done and that they had consented and left it to him to execute to receive the money in london and send it down to them at southampton where they wished to buy provisions which he accordingly did though it was against his advice and some of the merchants 
as for giving them notice at leyden about this change he could not because of the shortness of time again he knew it would trouble them and hinder the business which had already been too long delayed considering the time of the year which he feared they would find to their cost but these explanations did not content his hearers mr weston also came up from london to see them embark and to have the conditions confirmed but they refused and told him that he knew well that they were not according to the first agreement nor could they endorse them without the consent of the rest in holland in fact they had special orders when they came away from the chief men of the congregation not to do it at this he was much offended and told them in that case they must stand on their own legs so he returned to london in displeasure they lacked about one hundred pounds to clear their obligations but he would not disburse a penny and left them to shift as they could so they were forced to sell some of their provisions including some three or four firkins of butter which they were best able to spare having provided too much then they wrote a letter to the merchants and adventurers about the changes in the conditions, as follows. The Pilgrims at Southampton to the Merchants and Adventurers Beloved friends, we are sorry that it should be necessary to write to you at all, because we hoped to see most of you here, but especially we regret that there should be these differences between us. Since we cannot confer together, we think it proper to show you briefly the just cause of our dissenting from the articles last made by Robert Cushman, without our commission or knowledge. For, though he might make good excuses to himself, it in no way justifies his having done it. Our main differences lie in the fifth and ninth articles, concerning the division of houses or lands, the possession of which, as some you know, was one special motive amongst others which induced us to go. This was thought so reasonable, that when your chief partner in this venture, whom we have much cause to respect, proposed conditions to us of his own accord, he added this one, a copy of these conditions we have sent to you, including some proposed by us, which being approved on both sides, and a day set for the payment of the money, those of Holland paid in theirs. After that Robert Cushman, Mr. Pierce, and Mr. Martin put them into better form, and wrote them in a book now extant, and upon robert's showing mr mullins a copy he paid in his money and we of holland had never seen any other agreement before our coming to southampton except for a private copy of changed conditions which reached us and at which we manifested utter dislike but having sold our estates and being ready to come it was too late to give up the voyage we beseech you therefore to judge impartially of things and if a fault has been committed lay it where it should be and not upon us we never gave Robert Cushman commission to draw up a single article for us, but only sent him to receive money upon the articles before agreed on, and to arrange for the provisions till John Carver came, and to assist him in it. However, since you conceive yourselves wronged as well as we, we have made an addition to our ninth article such as will almost heal the wound of itself, but that it may appear to all that we are not lovers of ourselves only but desire also the good of our friends who have ventured their money with our persons we have added the last article to the rest promising you again by letter on behalf of the whole company that if large profits should not arise during the seven years we will remain longer with you if the lord give a blessing we are in such straits at present that we are forced to sell sixty pounds worth of our provisions to clear the haven and put ourselves upon bare necessities scarcely having any butter no oil not a soul to mend a shoe nor every man a sword to his side lacking many muskets much armor etc 
and yet we are willing to expose ourselves to such imminent dangers as are likely to ensue and trust to the good providence of god rather than his name and truth should be evil spoken of through us thus saluting all of you in love we take our leave and rest yours etc august third sixteen twenty it was subscribed with the names of the chief members of the congregation at their parting mr robinson wrote a letter to the whole party of the pilgrims which though it has already been printed i thought well to insert here also a brief letter written at the same time to mr carver in which the tender love and godly care of a true pastor appears mr john robinson in holland to john carver at southampton my dear brother i received enclosed in your last letter the note of information which i shall certainly keep and make use of when occasion arises i have a true feeling of your perplexity of mind and toil of body but i hope that you who have always been able so plentifully to administer comfort to others in their trials are so well furnished for yourself that even far greater difficulties than you have yet undergone though i conceive them to have been great enough cannot oppress you though they press you as the apostle says the spirit of a man sustained by the spirit of god will sustain his infirmity and i doubt not so will yours and much the better when you enjoy the presence and help of so many godly and wise brethren in bearing part of your burden who will not admit into their hearts the least thought or suspicion of the least negligence still less presumption to have been in you whatever they may think of others now what shall i say and write to you and your good wife my loving sister even only this i desire and always shall from the lord unto you as unto my own soul and assure yourself that my heart is with you and that i will not delay my bodily coming at the first opportunity i have written a large letter to the whole company and am sorry that i shall not be able to speak with them the more so considering the want of a preacher which will be an additional spur to my hastening after you I do ever commend my best affection to you, which, if I thought you doubted, I would express in more words. And the Lord in whom you trust, and whom you serve ever in this business and journey, guide you with his hand, protect you with his wing, and show you and us his salvation in the end, and bring us in the meanwhile together in the place desired, if such be his good will, for his Christ's sake. Amen. Yours, John Robinson july twenty seventh sixteen twenty this was the last letter that mr carver lived to see from him mr john robinson in holland to the pilgrims departing from southampton for new england loving christian friends i salute you all heartily in the lord as being they with whom i am present in my best affections and most earnest longings though i am constrained for a time to be bodily absent from you I say constrained, God knowing how willingly, and much rather than otherwise, I would have borne my part with you in this first brunt, were I not by strong necessity held back for the present. Think of me in the meanwhile as of a man divided in himself with great pain, and, physical limitations set aside, as having his better part with you. Though I doubt not that in your godly wisdom you foresee what is applicable to your present condition, I have thought it but my duty to add some further spur, even to those who run already, not because you need it, but because I owe it in love and duty. 
first as we ought daily to renew our repentance with our god especially for our sins known and generally for our unknown trespasses so doth the lord call us in a singular manner upon such an occasion of difficulty and danger as lies before you both to more narrow search and careful reformation of our ways in his sight lest he calling to remembrance of our sins forgotten by us or unrepented of take advantage of us and as a judgment upon us leave us to be swallowed up in one danger or another whereas on the contrary sin being taken away by earnest repentance and the pardon thereof from the lord sealed up into a man's conscience by his spirit great shall be his security and peace in all dangers sweet his comfort in all distresses with happy deliverance from all evil whether in life or in death now next after this heavenly peace with god and our own conscience we are carefully to provide for peace with all men so far as in us lieth especially with our associates and for that we must be watchful that we ourselves neither give nor easily take offence woe be unto the world for offences for though it be necessary considering the malice of satan and man's corruption that offences come yet woe unto the man or woman either by whom the offence come saith christ matthew eighteen seven and if offences arising from unseasonable actions innocent in themselves are more to be feared than death itself as the apostle teacheth first corinthians nine fifteen how much more when arising from things simply evil in which neither honour of god nor love of man is thought worthy to be regarded nor is it sufficient that we keep ourselves by the grace of god from giving offence except we be armed also against taking offence when it is given by others for how imperfect is the work of grace in him who lacks the charity that covers a multitude of offence as the scripture says neither are you exhorted to this grace only upon the common grounds of christianity persons ready to take offence either lack the charity which should cover offences or the wisdom duly to weigh human frailty or lastly are gross though close hypocrites as christ our lord teaches matthew seven one two and three in my own experience i have found few who are quicker to give offence than those who easily take it they who have nourished this touchy humour have never proved sound and profitable members in societies but there are besides many reasons why you above others should use special care in this direction you are many of you strangers to each other and to the infirmities of one another and so stand in need of the more watchfulness lest when unsuspected qualities appear in men and women you be inordinately affected by them this requires at your hands much wisdom and charity further the plans for your intended civil community will furnish continual occasion of offence and will be as fuel to the fire unless you diligently quench it with brotherly forbearance and if taking offence causelessly or easily at men's doings should be so carefully avoided how much more is it to be heeded lest we take offence at god himself which we do as often as we murmur at his providence in our crosses or bear impatiently such afflictions as he pleases to visit upon us store up therefore patience against the evil day with which we take offence at the lord himself in his holy and just works a fourth thing is carefully to be provided for to wit that with your employments which will be common to all you join affections truly bent upon the general good avoiding as a deadly plague of your comfort all retiredness of mind for selfish advantage let every one repress within himself as so many rebels against the common good 
all private partialities not consistent with the general convenience and as one is careful not to have a new house shaken with any violence before it is well settled and the parts firmly knit so be you i beseech you brethren much more careful that the house of god which you are and are to be be not shaken with unnecessary novelties or other oppositions at the first settling thereof lastly whereas you are to become a body politic administering among yourselves civil government and are furnished with persons of no special eminence above the rest from whom you will elect some to the office of government let your wisdom and godliness appear not only in choosing such persons as will entirely love and promote the common good but also in yielding them all due honor and obedience in their lawful administrations not beholding in them the ordinariness of their persons but god's ordinance for your good nor being like the foolish multitude who honor a gay coat more than either the virtuous mind of the wearer or the glorious ordinance of the lord but you know better and understand that the image of the lord's power and authority which the magistrate bears is honorable in how humble persons soever and this duty you can the more willingly perform because you are at present to have only those for your governors as you yourselves shall choose several other things of importance i could put you in mind of but i will not so far wrong your godly minds as to think you heedless of these things there being many among you well able both to admonish themselves and others these few things therefore i do earnestly commend unto your care and conscience joining therewith my daily incessant prayers unto the lord that he who made the heavens and the earth the sea and all rivers of waters and whose providence is over all his works especially over all his dear children for good would so guide and guard you in your ways as inwardly by his spirit so outwardly by the hand of his power that both you and we also may praise his name all the days of our lives fare you well in him in whom you trust and in whom i rest an unfeigned well-willer of your happy success in this hopeful voyage john robinson this letter though long being so suitable to the occasion i thought well to insert here everything being now ready and all business completed the company was called together and this letter was read to them and was well received by all and afterwards bore fruit in many then they allotted the company to each ship as they thought best and chose governors and two or three assistants to take charge of the people on the way and to see to the distribution of their provisions and such affairs which done they set sail from southampton about the fifth of august but what befell them further upon the coast of england will appear in the next chapter end of book one chapter seven